the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Timothy. It was important to me to invest in my kids' lives and, you know, and Terry with me, but I'm just talking now pastorally, never missed their ball games, never missed their practices. I think there was one ball game I missed that Austin played because it was a rain-up makeup on a Wednesday night when I taught. But otherwise, I just wanted to make sure that my kids knew, and my wife knows, but talking about children in this context, family and, and children, that they knew I, I loved Jesus my kids knew I loved their mom, and I loved them. There are so many ins and outs of building a strong, effective structure in which to tell others about Jesus. It's here we find Paul's letter to Timothy so helpful. Pastor Gary has explained to us the responsibilities of church leadership and the setup for smooth sailing within the body of believers. He has given then and now this template to follow so that the church can be as effective as possible. Paul lists many things to watch out for regarding the truth and fake truth. Continue in the gifts the Lord has given you. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 3, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. If you use money as, as just you know, a tool that you can be generous, you can bless, you can pay your bills, you can be responsible, you can you know, use money to buy things, and as long as you're not getting into debt, you're not loving it, you're not craving it, it's not covetous, then it makes a wonderful servant, but it's a terrible master. And pastors and elders are particularly warned here not to love money, not to be greedy or covetous, uh, not to live beyond your means, uh, not to live extravagant lifestyles. I mean, you know, this, this is my opinion talking here, but when I, when I see some, some TV preachers or TV evangelists, you know, living in 7,000 square foot homes and, you know, you know, driving, you know, really expensive sports cars and, you know, having a, having their own Cessna, you know, I, I just, I think it's, it's just, it's a black guy on the body of Christ. I don't think it speaks well. I don't think it reflects well because it, it shows, you know, there's this materialistic obsession. And, uh, and I think that there's this caution here. Basically, wherever, this is just in general, I think a general principle that I think is, is good, you know, for pastors in general. You know, don't live above or below the, the median of the, of the congregation you're ministering to. You know, that's, that's, just, that's just good common sense. It's, you know, you shouldn't be a lover of money, you, you know, especially because, you know, pastors and elders in particular uh, need, need to be good stewards of, of their own finances and resources. Otherwise, how can they be good stewards of God's money at God's house? 
And so if, if you're a lover of money, then you won't be a good manager of money because Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, that you can't you know, serve God and money. So if you love money, you're going to serve money. Uh, if you love God, you're going to serve God, but you can't, you can't love and serve both. Uh, even later here in chapter 6, verse 10, he's going to say, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. He's going to say later here in chapter 6 that some people with such an obsession and love and, and hunger for money and, and just, you know, to make a lot of money, that it's actually damaged their relationship with the Lord. Some have, have wandered from the faith, he says there in 1 Timothy 6.10. Now, some people misquote 1 Timothy 6.10 and for the love of of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It, it's the love of money, and it's a root, but it's not money itself. Money itself is not evil. Money itself is not bad. And if, you know, if, if you're in a position where God has blessed you, and you're very successful, and you have a lot of it, you know, as a Christian, that just gives you more opportunity to, to be generous. Uh, so, because the love of money, the, the way you break the love of money is to be generous, and the more you're generous with what God has given you, then it resists that temptation in all of us to love it. Okay, so money itself is not evil, but loving it can be a root of, of evil, all kinds of evil. Uh, now, number 12 and number 13 on this list really go together. Manages his own family well and sees that his children obey him. Let me just talk about this a little bit now. You know, Terry and I have, our three kids are grown, they're out of the house, they're all three married now. And so, you know, let me just talk about sort of in the past, since they're out of our home at this point. Never, never in my pastoral ministry did I tell my kids that they better behave because dad is a pastor. I never wanted to throw that guilt trip on them. Now, I knew, I knew in my own heart that if they ever went off the rails, and every kid can have, you know, a, a little season of rebellion, but pastors, this is, again, one of these qualifications that is no small thing. And, and uh, so a, every child can have their moments, can have a little season. But if, if your child goes off the rails, you know, and, and as a pastor, I knew in my heart it could disqualify me. But I didn't want to lay that guilt trip on them because then they would be in a performance-oriented mode constantly. I, I got to always do what is right because, you know, I don't want dad to lose his job. And so I better, I better not misbehave. And so, you know, I don't want dad to lose his job. So, so therefore, you know, I never approached it like that. You know, and Terry didn't either. We didn't, we didn't want to come to our kids and say, you got to, we never sat them down and said, you, you, you better, you better walk the straight and narrow and read your Bibles and quote your verses because you're preacher's kids. And if you ever do anything bad, I can lose my job. That, that kind of thing's destroyed a lot of preacher's kids. I know some of them. They've walked away from the church, walked away from the Lord, and, and it's tragic. And, and yet, Paul's writing here to young Timothy saying, you as a pastor, you have to manage your own family well. You have to see that your children obey you. And, and he adds there in, in verse uh, 5, uh, it's a parenthetical comment, but in verse 5, if anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? 
So, so while this was something I was very well aware of as my kids were younger, I never wanted to, you know, use this to, to beat them with, right? You know, like, you know, read, you know, read this verse, you know, and you better understand what's going on. So, you know, for Terry and me, our desire was we're just, we're going we're gonna to raise them the best we can in the ways of the Lord, and we're going to trust the Lord. That's what we're going to do. We're going to raise them in the ways of the Lord, and we're going to trust the Lord, I never wanted my kids to think that church was more important than they. Never wanted my wife to feel that way either. I, I can't say that I, I was always perfect in that regard. You know, there were, there were times where uh, I'm, I'm sure that was not in balance. But my heart's desire was I never wanted my kids to think. And, you know, no offense to any of you, but my family's more important than any of you. Okay? And here's the reason why. Because... My marriage and my kids, for every pastor, needs to be their first ministry. Every pastor's first ministry is his wife and his kids. Because if you lose your family, you lose your ministry. I mean, ultimately, if you lose your family, you lose your ministry. So it was important to me to invest in my kids' lives and, you know, and Terry with me, but I'm just talking now pastorally. Never missed their ball games. Never missed their practices. I think there was one ball game I missed that Austin played because it was a rain-up makeup on a Wednesday night when I taught. But otherwise, I just wanted to make sure that my kids knew, and my wife knows, but talking about children in this context, family and, and children, that they knew I, I loved Jesus. My kids knew I loved their mom, and I loved them. And the church is further down the list. And... And so that they would grow up loving Jesus and loving the church and not resenting either. And that was important to me. Um, still is important to me. And so, you know, Terry and I, our, our prayer, this, this was our one prayer was, we just want our kids to grow up and love Jesus. I mean, that was just our prayer. We just want our kids to grow up and love Jesus. And... To God be the glory that both our boys are pastors in ministry with us here, and our daughter uh, helps to manage my schedule. And, and it was one of those things where that was just like, by the grace of God, icing on the cake. We just wanted to love Jesus. For them to love Jesus and love you all and love Cornerstone and want to serve here has been, I can't tell you, just the greatest blessing to me and Terry that our kids love the Lord and love you. Now, I know, and I just want to say this, uh, because I think it's worth mentioning at this point. I know that some people are, un, are, are uneasy with family members being on staff at a church, and I do understand that. And I, I do want to say that in any situation like that, it should be monitored carefully with some checks and balances, and there should never be any favoritism. But I will also tell you that had my kids ended up rebellious, in jail, pregnant, in rehab, the same people who were uneasy about pastor's kids being on staff would be the same ones to run me out of the church if they ended up in those conditions. And I'm just thankful that you as a flock, you as a congregation, have loved and embraced our kids um, I can tell you, and Terry will be the first to say with me, we didn't know any better than any of you 
how to be good parents other than you pray a lot and you love your kids a lot. And it's by the grace of God because I don't want anybody going on any guilt trip leaving here tonight because, well, my kids didn't go in the ministry and my kids, you know, and my kids aren't even walking with Jesus and what did I do wrong and aren't you special? It's, it's totally by the grace of God and you can do the best you can and still your kids go off the rail. And you can pray the most you can and still your kids have challenges. Um, so we don't take any credit, but we're just thankful for what God has done in their lives and that, that they, they love Jesus and love you such that I wasn't disqualified. You know, now they're out of the house, so you know, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and that's important to say, too, because you know, some people interpret this passage to mean forever, uh, you know, as long as your kids are your kids, which your kids are always your kids, you know, then you're still bound and obligated. But the reality is, it's speaking here about a pastor, an elder, whose kids are in the home and still under your, your home, under, under, you know, the authority of your household. Once they get married and, and they're out, you know, this, this doesn't qualify. But, you know, um, that's, I think that's worth mentioning, too. So, anyway, my sons are fifth-generation pastors in my family. And I, I can tell you that they struggled with call, their calling in, in the ministry. I struggled with a calling in the ministry. But my great-grandfather, their great-great-grandfather was uh, a circuit rider preacher on horseback through the hills of West Virginia. And, um, and so, but, it's, but that's a double-edged sword because, you know, so my great-grandfather, my grandfather, my uncle, not my dad, but that generation, my, his brother, myself, and then my boys, the double-edged sword is when you see a string of pastors in your family, you also think, well, and my boys had the same struggle. They came to me independently. Maybe I... You know, am I just going in the ministry because that's the kind of thing that we do in our family? You know, what is a calling? Am I only doing it because that's what the other men did in our family? And so that's a double-edged sword because you don't, you don't want to do something just because other people did it in your, in your family. Um, and my boys would say that about their calling relative to me. They don't want to do it just because dad's a pastor. You know, they struggle with this. They came to me weeping and just expressed their heart's desire to serve the Lord. And, um, and so... Uh, I'm, I'm just thankful and grateful and appreciate your, your love and the way that you've embraced my family and, and loved on us and taken care of us over the years. Um, it, it helps to be able to manage your family well, and it helps to see that your children obey you uh, when they're younger, when you have a flock like, like you all who are loving and generous and caring. So uh, I appreciate you in that regard very much. Uh, let me breeze through the last two here. Number 14, not a recent convert. There's no time requirement between when a man gets saved and when he can go into the ministry, but uh, he, he adds here, not a recent convert, why? Or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. And there, there's this, you know, young in your faith, you haven't really been tested, you haven't really been tried, and so rather than, you know, be all full of yourself in your early years as a Christian, you know, he says, wait, wait on appointing an elder or a pastor until they've, they've uh, been a Christian for a little while. So I, I don't have a number, there's not a hard, fast number on this, 
Uh, For me personally, I'd probably say no less than five years should someone be a believer before before he steps into pastoral ministry. Number 15 is a good reputation with outsiders, meaning uh, to be respected by non-believers, not just to be respected within the church, but outside the church. That's a little difficult sometimes because Jesus said in Luke 6, 26, woe to you when all men speak well of you. So, you know, if everybody is, you know, loving you and um, you have a good reputation with everybody, then maybe you're not always doing your job. But um, to the degree that you're not causing any uh, bad reputation, uh, you should have a good one with your outside friends as well. Uh, let, me, let me see if I can make it through the rest of this chapter real quickly. Look at verse 8. I don't have a list for the deacons, but it shifts now to deacons. And um, the, back to our number four, godly elders and deacons. The Greek word here is diakonos. It's where we get our English word deacon or deaconess. This is a minister or servant. That's what the Greek word means in the church. Starting in verse 8, you'll notice... There are um, qualifications here for deacons now, very, very similar to elders, only a few differences, so I don't need to spend a lot of time breaking these down because I just did since they're so similar to the qualifications for elders. But look at verse 8, deacons, diakonos, likewise are to be men worthy of respect, sincere. Now, if you have an ESV or a New King James, it says not double-tongued. Uh, the, the word sincere there in the Greek is dialogos, meaning not saying two different things. So be sincere in words is basically the, the context there. Uh, not indulging in much wine. Now, this is interesting. It's a different term. The elders are not paronos, not to be near wine. The deacons, not indulging in too much. So like, you know, deacons can be two sheets to the wind, you know, just not three. <laughs> Uh, There's not a prohibition there for deacons. You can have a little bit. Uh, Not pursuing dishonest gain. That uh, good old King James says filthy lucre. So this is dishonest gain talking about money again, not the love of money. Verse 9, they must hold, they must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. Uh, They must first be tested. And then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. Again, very similar to shouldn't be recent converts. Make sure they're tested a little bit. Verse 11, in the same way they're wives. Now, the Greek word here for wives is diakonos again. The, the, the word is not feminine or masculine. It's neuter in the Greek. So it means that you, it could translate the wives of deacons, but it could also translate deaconess, as in a woman who serves as a deacon. This, a deacon is not in a leadership capacity in the local church. The first time you see deacons is in Acts chapter 6. The Grecian Jews complained to the Hebraic Jews that their widows, the Greek widows, were getting overlooked in the daily distribution of food. The the Greek is the the daily ministration of food. Diakonos is back in Acts chapter 6. It's the same word. And so the apostles got together and they said, well, we can't neglect prayer and the ministry of the word to wait on tables. So they raised up deacons and the list of the first deacons is in Acts chapter six. And the list of all of the original deacons in Acts chapter six were men originally. And by the way, they all had Greek names showing that the Greek Jews complained and the Greek Jews got the responsibility. Okay. They were originally all men, but in Romans chapter 16, verse one. Paul commends a woman named Phoebe because she is a minister or a servant of the gospel with us. 
And that word minister or servant is diakonos. So we see that women end up be, uh, serving in the role of deacons or deaconess. So back here in 1 Timothy chapter 3, this could either mean the wife of a deacon or could mean a woman who serves as a deacon. Because deacons in the early church and still here in our church are men and women who are lay servants, lay ministers. They're not, they're not pastors. They don't have uh, leadership authority, but they are part of uh, a structure. We have some great deacons. We call them our care team. Um, these are men and women who serve the body of Christ, who serve you. They help the pastors in ministry. Uh, and, and, but we're sensitive, and we, and we tell our, our care team members, and they know this, that men deacons minister only to men, female deacons only minister to women, and as married couples, they minister together to other married couples. So we're very gender sensitive so that, you know, you don't start getting, you know, crossing lines there that are inappropriate. Um, but they're just part of the body of Christ to help minister, to help pray with you. You might get, you know, when we have the prayer time, you have some deacons down front here, some of our care team members. They might go to the hospital to visit you. They're just part of that lay ministry. They're very valuable and, and uh, you know, a wonderful part of our fellowship. And so the reference here, again, might be women or wives who are deacons. They're to be women worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, this is verse 11, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be the husband of but one wife. Again, very similar to elders. Must manage his children, his household well. Very similar. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. And then he writes here in verse 14, which is like the key verse for the whole letter. Although I hope to come to you soon... I am writing you these instructions so that, verse 15, if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Okay, the word church there, it's ecclesia in the Greek. It means the called out ones. We're called out from the world, but we're to go back into the world. So God's people are not a building. We're the church. We're the called out ones to come together, to assemble together, to worship him, and we're the church of the living God. We serve a living God, right? Okay, Muhammad is dead, Confucius is dead, Buddha is dead, Gandhi is dead, Jesus is alive, all right? We serve a living God, we're the church of the living God, all right? Different from all other world religions, and we are to be, the church is to be the pillar and foundation of the truth. What does a pillar do? It supports something. The church should always be holding up truth should be elevating truth and the foundation of the truth. We should be built on the truth, okay? There's all, you know, all of this question these days about what is truth? And it's no different from Jesus' day. When Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate, just before Jesus was crucified, Jesus said to Pilate, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And Pontius Pilate Ask Jesus, quid es veritas, what is truth? That's been that question down through the ages. Okay, well, the church is to be a representation of the truth because we are to be rightly dividing the word of truth, which is the source of truth. It's scripture, okay? CNN isn't going to give you the truth. <laughs> and for that matter, Fox News isn't going to give you the truth all the time, Okay. It's the Bible. It's the Word of God. And the, and the church needs to be holding up the truth and being built on the truth. And he finishes this chapter by saying, Beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. 
He, referring to Jesus, appeared in a body. That's the incarnation when God became flesh and dwelt among us. He was vindicated by the Spirit. In other words, he was declared right. His ministry was declared legitimate by the Spirit of God. At his baptism, the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in the form of a dove. Jesus was seen by angels. Uh, angels ministered to Jesus in the wilderness in Mark chapter 1, 13. And when he was in the garden before his crucifixion, angels came and ministered to him, Luke twenty two forty three. 43. He was preached among the nations. Here we are today still talking about him, preaching him. He was believed on in the world, and he was taken up in glory. He ascended back into heaven, and he's coming again. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection, as Pastor Gary Hamrick teaches through the book of 1 Timothy. If you're interested in hearing this message again, or others like it, feel free to visit our website at cornerstoneconnection.cc. You can also download our mobile app so you can have these teachings with you on the go. This is a great way to keep up with Pastor Gary's studies and to have encouragement from God's Word at your fingertips. Find a link to download the app for your iPhone or Android device at our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Once there, simply look under the Teachings tab. You can also learn more about the church this radio ministry originates from, Cornerstone Chapel. We'd be excited to meet you if you're in the area. You'll find all you need to know about service times and other information on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. We trust you've been encouraged by today's teaching from the book of 1 Timothy, and we encourage you to read over today's message on your own, and then make plans to join Pastor Gary again for more from this New Testament letter, right here on Cornerstone Connection. J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.